You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. The next season starts on October 22nd. Get your subscription of a half year's worth of Magnums then at savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual So it's October, it's fall, that means I've been on the road a bit, going to colleges and universities and doing Savage Love Live, which is sort of a stand-up comedy version of my already kind of comedic sex advice column. I just take questions on cards and stand at a podium and answer them. And I really enjoy it. I really love it. Uh, it's a, one of the perks of my job. It's getting to run around the country a bit, travel, meet the young people. Sometimes though, I am met by young people who do not like me very much. Protesters and I'm all for college age righteous indignation protester types because I was that guy. In some ways, a lot of ways, I still am that guy. Uh, I still am out there organizing protests and swelling with righteous indignation. Uh, but last week I spoke at Haverford College, um, which is right up the street from Bryn Mawr, and Haverford is a tiny liberal arts school. And it was a great talk, and, and I had a great time. A uh, shout out to Kenzie, who was one of the students who was at the workshop I did before the talk. Uh, and then at the talk, came up to me afterwards during the signing and said, you know, I didn't like you before today, but after meeting you and talking to you, I, I really – I like you. And I signed her book, I Didn't Like You Before Today Either. Love Dan because I didn't know her before today, but I liked her. Uh, but she didn't like me until she uh, actually came to my talk and listened with open ears. Anyway, some kids from Bryn Mawr rolled in to stage a, a, a protest at my talk. They were at the back of the room holding up signs, calling me an asshole. Uh, they were so far at the back of the room I couldn't read the signs, so I'm just inferring that the signs were calling me an asshole. People don't come with protest signs to one of your talks and hold up signs and say, you look really good today. And again, the way these talks work is that people write questions on cards before the show and then I'm handed these questions right before I go on. And uh, then I just stand there and, and answer them. And it allows people to be anonymous just like they are when they write the sex advice column and just like people are when they call the show. So mixed in with the usual Savage Love Live questions like, will lube spice up my sex life? No. What is the juiciest sexual situation you could possibly conceive of? Not telling you. Uh, how can one combat the effects of whiskey dick? Less whiskey. And uh, my favorite at Haverford, how can one avoid choking on dick while giving head? Uh, and mixed in with those questions, usual sort of typical college-age savage love questions were questions from the protesters. Here are a few of those. Why do you get to choose the questions that you answer? Well, because it's not a deposition and uh, I'm in charge of me and you're not the boss of me. How do you respond to the position that the It Gets Better project is inherently classist because it is targeted at people who are mobile enough to get out of abuse and bad situations? Well, accepting the premise of your question, uh, you know, which I do not, but just briefly to accept the premise of your question, because there are some people out there who are stuck in places, you know, stuck in poverty uh, and unable to move, that we shouldn't help those people out there who may be more mobile and able to get out of a bad situation. We should say to those people, we're not going to do anything to help you because fuck you, there are people out there in the world worse off than you. But I reject the – I think the premise of this question itself is classist because what this person is saying is that People who are poor uh, or working class are incapable of making any change, uh, transforming their lives when we know for a fact that the queer world and the world is full of people who are poor and working class uh, who 
came out, made it better for themselves, changed their families, helped to change their communities. What this person is saying is that poor and working class queers, it never gets better for any of them ever, that they have no agency and no control even in their own lives. How classist and condescending is that bullshit? What are you doing to address the issue of bisexual erasure? Well, I am constantly importuning bisexuals to come the fuck out because nothing will fix bisexual erasure faster than more bisexuals opening their mouths and saying we are bisexuals as we discussed on the podcast just a week or so ago. 70 plus percent of all gays and lesbians are out to everybody but only 20 some percent of bisexuals are out to everybody. You want to fix bisexual erasures, bisexuals? Come the fuck out. Anyway, so constantly lighting fires under the asses of bisexuals. I get letters every day from bisexuals thanking me because now they're out to their spouses and family and friends about being bi and it's improved their lives. I get letters from them every day. That's what I'm doing to address the issue of bisexual erasure. But perhaps my favorite question, what is creating schisms in the LGBTQIA community today? Well, perhaps it's the fact that you left LFTS, another Q, off, LGBTQIA. You left off two-spirited leather fetish. You have one Q, which I assume is for queer, so you left off questioning. And I'm personally offended because I am still questioning all sorts of shit. Uh, but again, I just want to like attack the premise of this question, this idea that there are schisms in the community today as opposed to in the past when we were all on one page, when we never ever were, or this attitude that there shouldn't be schisms in the LGBTQIA community. Uh, this, this idea, this kind of naive notion that if the LGBTQIA community was healthy and functioning and everybody was uh, sort of open and honest and you know all up to speed together, we would all agree with each other 100 percent about everything. We Straight people don't look around going, oh my god, there are some straight people over there who disagree with me about shit. Where did these schisms in the straight community come from? What, is, what, what causes these schisms in the straight community? Straight people don't have this premise that so many queer people have that we're all supposed to agree with each other 100 percent about everything and get along all the time. No, there's going to be internal debate and there's going to be people who are queer that you think are assholes and there are going to be people who are queer that you disagree with, uh, who do things that you disapprove of, who politically you find offensive and even though they are queer too, you work against. And that's not some sort of bug in the queer system. That's a feature of human life, disagreement, dissent, debate. In-community debate, out-community debate, which brings me to Michelangelo Signorelli's piece on Huffington Post last week, Is Being Gay or Bi Enough? The Rise of the Queer Conservadems. Here's an interesting thing. The Republicans voted to shut down the government in an effort to destroy Obamacare. Now, Obamacare is going to be very good for queers, particularly trans people are going to benefit from access to health insurance in ways that they haven't before. There's been a lot of writing. I've been reading a lot of tweets but also a lot of articles uh, written by trans activists and people in the trans community extolling Obamacare and all the wonderful things it's going to do. So if you are pro-trans, as many of these protesters were, you've got to be pro-Obamacare. Uh, but interestingly enough, nine Democrats joined with the Republicans to vote to shut down the government to destroy Obamacare. Of those nine, two were queers. Of those queers, one – one of the two queers who voted to shut down the government, voted with the Republicans. It's a Democrat named Kristen Sinema, Democrat from Arizona. And in 2012, we celebrated her election to Congress, myself included. I believe I mentioned it on the show because she is the first openly bisexual person elected to Congress. 
And she voted with the Republicans to shut down the government and destroy Obamacare, as did U.S. Representative Sean Patrick Mahoney, Democrat from New York, who is an openly gay former Clinton aide. Michelangelo Signorelli writes, also elected for the first time in 2012. Now, Maloney's voted with big banks. He took all this Wall Street money. And again, he voted with the Republicans and with Christian Cinema to shut down the government and destroy Obamacare. These two queers did that. Signorelli writes, think about this. On what is arguably the most important debate in Congress, two of nine Democrats who voted with the Tea Party-led blackmailers are openly gay or bisexual. Two of the only five openly gay or bisexual members of the House voted with the extreme far right to undermine this president and his signature domestic policy achievement. Now, what do we do with that? And who is creating schisms in the LGBTQI community today? These two motherfuckers have created a schism for me. I am going to do all I can in 2014 to turn out of Congress these two motherfuckers, this gay dude in New York and this bi lady in Arizona. Gay or not, I don't care. I don't care who runs against them in the Democratic primaries that they are going to have to fight. I will support the Dems who challenge both of these motherfuckers. I will write checks to the Dems who challenge both of these motherfuckers because this for me is a, an absolute deal breaker. Whatever allegiance I feel, whatever pride I take in openly gay members of Congress, we could see the number of gay people in Congress drop from five to three when these two are defeated in their Democratic primaries as they should be. Now, I don't believe that I'm entitled to Democratic members of Congress who happen to be gay, lesbian, bi or trans that I agree with 100 percent of the time. But what created this schism here was their bullshit, right? I disagree with them. I disagree with what they've done and I intend to hold them accountable. And in a way, I respect what the protesters from Bryn Mawr were doing at my talk at Hereford. They disagree with some of the shit I've written. I disagree with some of the shit I've written. When you go back over 22 years of anybody's writing career and mine it for examples of assholery or error, you will find it. So I respect them getting in my face. I respect them disagreeing with me and dissenting and showing up at the talk to argue with me. Young queer people shouldn't be dismayed when they see evidence of disagreement, dissension, debate and argument between members of the LGBTQI community when they detect these schisms. It isn't necessarily evidence of, of an unhealthy community. It's evidence of a healthy community that we are going to have these intra-community debates and it is evidence of the health of the queer community that queers, thanks to Michelangelo Signorelli, who's a gay writer for Huffington Post, a gay uh, talk show host on Sirius Satellite Radio, thanks to him for drawing attention to these two motherfuckers. It is healthy now that gay and lesbian and bi and trans Democrats are going to do all that we can to defeat these two pseudo-Democrats who linked arms with the Tea Party. And in a way, it speaks to the political security that we currently enjoy. You know, Chris Fisherwood said social tolerance is like a tide. It can reach a high watermark and recede out of sight. But where we are right now, we can risk having two fewer openly gay people in Congress if it means getting rid of these two openly gay Democrats because they are worthless, these two. Remember their names. You're going to be hearing about them in 2014. Kristen Cinema, Democratic of Arizona, first openly bisexual person elected to Congress, and Sean Patrick Maloney, Democratic of New York, openly gay former Clinton aide, both elected in 2012, and both, if the queer community, queer Democrats have anything to say about it, both defeated in 2014.
because there is a schism as there always have been and always will be and that is not necessarily the sign of a community falling apart. That is a sign of a community that is healthy and engaged. And now your calls, but first a quick program note. I had to record most of this week's show on the road so that you may notice the sound quality during the Q&A is a little different, a little less spectacular than it usually is because I didn't have the tech savvy at risk youth with me on the road. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at risk youth. I have a question. Has a relationship quandary, and it is with my father. I have a mental illness, and he and I got into a huge political argument, which I'm usually smart enough to avoid. But he's completely against Obamacare, and that's the only thing that is going to provide me health insurance. I don't know what I should do at this point. I'm so angry at him because I feel like he's ashamed of my diagnosis and he just kept on saying that it's going to ruin the country, that Obamacare is going to ruin the country. And I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm beyond the point of being able to persuade him that this is good for people like me and we don't have coverage and we're not able to get mental health coverage under the current system. And I don't know. I just, I equate it to somebody who's gay and who has a parent who's unaccepting of it. And I just don't know what to do. I've tried to talk to him a few times, but he just always goes back to the argument. He can't even help himself. He can't just like drop it. Here's what you do. You don't talk to your fucking asshole father about Obamacare. Sometimes there are just things we do not talk to our parents about because our parents, as much as we love them, have their heads so far up their ancient asses that they really can't be reasoned with or helped. Your father, I bet, is one of these dumb fucks who when they pull Republicans and say, are you for Obamacare? Uh, they're against Obamacare. But if you ask them if they're for the Affordable Care Act, they're for the Affordable Care Act. You do not have to have a conversation about this with your dad. You don't have to talk your father into supporting Obamacare for Obamacare to exist or for you to access the benefits of Obamacare. So fuck your father in his ear. Change the subject. If he wants to go off on Obamacare hum a little song, let him go off and say, are you done now, dad? Which is what I do when my dad talks to me about who he's voting for every four years. My dad's a Republican. He votes for Republicans. Every four years, we have sort of a quadrennial argument about it. Uh, and then we drop it and we don't discuss it. Don't discuss it. Don't get drawn into this. Uh, and another Obamacare note, I didn't rant at the top of the show about about the federal government being shut down, about Republicans trying to yank back Obamacare about Michelle Bachman comparing Obamacare to crack cocaine. Nothing racist about that. Nothing racist there. Here's what Michelle Bachman said. President Obama can't wait to get Americans addicted to the crack cocaine of dependency on more government health care because once they enroll millions of more individual Americans, it will be virtually impossible for us, the Republicans, to pull these benefits back from people. This is what the Republicans want to do. They want to yank these benefits back from people. They don't want people to have health care coverage. A study out of Harvard 
showed that tens of thousands of Americans die every year for lack of access to health care because they do not have health insurance. The Republican Party, the pro-life party, is pro-death for poor, for working class, for uninsured Americans. Michelle Bachman, pro-death. And she's really concerned that once you, caller and other Americans who lack health care coverage now, have coverage, the Republican, the poor Republicans will be in this position where they can't, quote here, pull these benefits back from people. Fuck the party of death. The Republicans run around calling the Democrats the party of death. These motherfuckers are the party of death. Pulling benefits back from people means people will die, which is kind of what they're after. At some point, we just have to say, yeah, they kind of worship death, these motherfuckers. They're for the death penalty. They're for kids not having access to health care. In my new book, American Savage, I write about kids who died of fucking toothaches because they do not have access to health care or primary care. They're for the, uh, as many wars as they can possibly drag the country into. Me too, once upon a time. Mia culpa. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But still, they are for death. They, they are pro-life when it comes to fetuses. They want as many children born as possible so that they can stand around and watch those children die for lack of access to health care. Uh, die because they refuse to enact any sort of reasonable gun control legislation. These motherfuckers are crazy and they are evil. They're nuts. And I am so sorry, caller, that one of them happens to be your dad. And I would say also, if you want to have an argument with your father, and I started going on really long about this, and I say this to my, my fellow liberals out there, this is really a neat hat trick. We are all so emotionally invested in the success of the Affordable Care Act, even though this was a Republican plan. This was a plan hatched by the Heritage Foundation. This was the conservative answer to the health care crisis. This program that sort of uh, pours money into private insurance industries, that subsidizes people going out and buying health insurance from private insurers rather than creating a single-payer program, rather than creating even a public option in this Rube Goldberg contraption that is the Obama care system. Republicans should be lining up behind the president, asking him how far up his ass he wants their tongues. He should be thanking them for conning all of us liberals. We're also emotionally invested now in the success of what is a conservative healthcare program, a conservative market-driven response to the healthcare crisis, rather than the single-payer system that all liberals and progressives used to want. Now we want Obamacare to work. Now we want the Heritage Foundation Romney Care plan to work. Because our guy enacted it. And they wanted it to fail because our guy enacted it. And they wanted it to fail because Michelle Bachman, crazy eyes, wants to watch people die. Because they're fucking evil. I, I, you know, you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to demagogue like that. You're not supposed to call people evil. But at some point, you've got to just call it as you see it. And you have one party rooting for Americans to die. That's Harvard University study. Google it. Look it up. Tens of thousands of Americans die every year because they have no access to health care coverage. And you have this whole political party that is shutting down the government, threatening to default on America's debt, threatening to create a worldwide economic crisis. All for what? To pull these benefits back from people so that their fellow Americans die for lack of access to health care coverage. What is that if that isn't evil? Hi, Dan Savage. I'm a 20-year-old college student in North Carolina, and I think I did something stupid last night. So I got drunk, and I was fooling around with this guy, and I went to suck his dick. <laughs> and when um, I pulled it out, it had, like, dry skin, like, flakiness on the base of it. 
And I was just, like, drunk and horny, and I just, was, like, didn't want it to be weird and be like, whoa, like, you have something on your dick. So I just sucked it anyway. And now that it's morning and I'm in my right mind, I feel pretty gross about it. So um, I was wondering how common it is for men to get dry skin on their penises, or if that's, like, a definite sign of an STD. Um, if it is an STD, how likely is it that I'm at risk for having it transmitted orally? And I guess my third question would be, in the future, when I'm in a situation like this and something doesn't look right, is there a polite way to be like, dude, something's not right down there and without ruining the mood? I don't know. You know what I want on my tombstone when I die? I sucked it anyway. Famous last words right there. Listen, there really are no STDs where the, the primary symptom is uh, dry skin at the base of the deck. That ain't an STD. That's a college boy who's been jacking it way too much and not using enough lubricant. Maybe he has uh, shingles or dry skin or some other chronic medical condition, eczema. But most likely what this guy has, and all of those things, eczema, uh, shingles, chronic medical those are not sexually transmitted infections. You're not going to get eczema of the lips and tongue. It ain't going to happen. Um, but most likely, Occam's razor here, uh, that is a boy, uh, college boy, you're roughly your age, 20 years old, 20-something, who has been jacking it furiously uh, and chafed the shit out of himself. That said, uh, you know, if there's something wrong with the dick that's been laid in front of you, if it looks off, uh, say something. Don't suck it anyway to avoid ruining the mood. If there actually is something going on, if there is something wrong that this person isn't disclosing, uh, that's a, you want the mood ruined. You want to hit the pause button and say, hey, about your dick, and then listen to his explanation and see if it's reasonable. If it's reasonable and you've momentarily derailed the mood, you can get the mood back on. You can get it going again. Uh, but I sucked it anyway. Has to be my favorite sort of default mode that should be on your tombstone here lies Susie roberts she sucked it anyway and if you don't want i sucked it anyway on your tombstone can i please have it on mine here lies dan savage he sucked it anyway uh but that wasn't an std so rest assured you do not have fatal eczema of the tongue coming your way you have chafed college-age boy dick in your mouth that's very different it's not a sexually transmitted infection rest assured Hi, I am a 28-year-old woman living in, straight woman living in California. I seem to keep falling into bed and falling in love with this man who I have known for five years now and we've never dated, but we keep finding each other while he's in a relationship or I'm in a relationship or we're single. It just keeps happening. And I just don't know how to tell if he actually has feelings for me if, or if I should just really move on. I'm single now, but I, I think it's keeping me from pursuing real relationships. Here's the thing that confuses me about your call. You fear sort of asking him, like, 
are what are we? You know, clearly there's something here. We should either you know shit or get off my face. Like this is can't be a fuck buddy thing forever. Like either we should start dating and have a relationship that's sort of more official and public, or we should stop hooking up like this because this is getting in the way of me seeking sexual and emotional fulfillment elsewhere. So I need to have you in my life as my boyfriend, and I need, or I need to have you out of my life as my fuck buddy because having you in my life as my fuck buddy is really blocking my efforts or motivation to go out there and find a boyfriend to have a relationship. And if you say that and he leaves, then good, because then you can move on and go find somebody you can have a relationship with. If you say that and he's like, I've been feeling the same way. I didn't know how you'd feel about upgrading this to more official boyfriend, girlfriend status, because clearly there's something there between us. Then great. Then he's going to be your boyfriend. Either way you win by being honest with him, by disinhibiting. Either you're going to scare him off and good riddance, or he's going to want to upgrade to platinum boyfriend status. So fucking speak the fuck up already. And in conclusion, like, stop sucking it anyway. Just stop sucking it until you clarify where you are with this guy. Say your piece. Say what you want. Say how you're feeling. And if he wants the same thing you want, then continue to suck it. But in the meantime, stop sucking it anyway. That's the theme of today's show. Don't suck it anyway. Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a question about how to deal with a, a social STD question, essentially. I'm a mid-20s male living in the Seattle area who just got out of a open two-year relationship. Tried to do testing during the relationship, but uh, once the relationship went in separate ways for separate reasons, we found out that at some point in the relationship, I probably had contacted general herpes, and I'm unsure how to deal with this. I'm contacting my ex-lovers, and I originally found out my ex went to get tested and found out that she was positive. And she's very upset with me, understandably. I I did research on it, and I found out that it's not uncommon for for herpes to still be spreadable, even with condom use. So I guess that, you know, kind of makes me feel better, but no matter what I do, I can't seem to convince or friends or anybody who just labeled me as the unsafe guy that gave his uh, ex-girlfriend herpes. They're just labeling me as, you know, that guy. I guess my main question is how to how to go about dealing with the, the stigma even within this group and feeling very alienated. I can't go to any of my old group settings or whatever because they all blame me, even though I just tried my best to, you know, have sex safely. I'm unsure how to move forward in this, short of just throwing everybody away. I'm unsure how to, uh, how to approach this. We've had experts on the show in the past from Planned Parenthood to talk about herpes. And sometimes it surprises people to hear someone from Planned Parenthood, someone whose job is basically to help people be safe and avoid sexually transmitted infections, to say, as these experts from Planned Parenthood have said on my show and in other places often, herpes is not that big a deal. Most people who have herpes or exposed herpes have one outbreak and then they never have an outbreak ever again. Um, herpes in the lives of most people who have it, it exists out of all proportion to the, the, the panic and the hysteria and the stigma attached to herpes. Um, so uh, I would encourage you to go look up those shows that we've done on herpes in the past on the Lovecast because uh, they will be a reassurance to you. Um, you might want to share them with your ex-girlfriend. I would say this, though, to you and your ex-girlfriend. If you're going to have open relationships, if you're going to be polyamorous, if you're going to have multiple partners, on some level, you have to reconcile yourself to the fact that your risk of 
acquiring skin-to-skin contact sexually transmitted infections like herpes, like HPV, are really high. You know, there are benefits to a monogamous relationship. And one of the the top benefits, if you are indeed successfully monogamous, is protection, sort of a force field protecting you from all sexually transmitted infections if you both come into the relationship uninfected and you test and you stay exclusive. Um, But if you're going to have an open relationship, there's a certain trade-off there. There's more excitement. There's more variety. There's more possibility. There's more adventure. But there's also a higher risk for sexually transmitted infection. And so you are signing up for that when you're in an open relationship. And you can't then be... A colossal scrotum. Remember, scrotums are the weak and vulnerable things, not pussies. You can't be a colossal scrotum if you pull the short straw and you are then exposed to HPV or herpes. You just can't. You have an open relationship. You are volunteering, not definitely to get herpes or HPV, but you are volunteering for a higher risk of getting one or the other or both. So your girlfriend, I think, and her friends are being a little bit unfair to you by slut-shaming you by hammering away at you as if you are solely responsible uh, for this known risk going into an open relationship, that you're at higher risk for skin-to-skin contact sexually transmitted infections, both of which in the lives of most people who are exposed to them or have them are no big deal. And also to throw a monkey wrench into your girlfriend's, your ex-girlfriend and her friend's shit that they're throwing at you right now. It's just as likely, it's possible, if she had multiple partners, that she's the one who exposed you to herpes. So you might want to ask her to wrap her head around that. Unless she was completely monogamous to you and the open thing in your relationship was about you getting to dog around and fuck all the girls you wanted and she didn't sleep around with other guys at all or had no other partners at all uh, and you were her only sex partner ever, then she can prove that you gave her herpes. But it's possible that she gave you herpes, that she had been exposed before this relationship began, and she had been asymptomatic until after this relationship began, and that her first outbreak, if she has had an outbreak, uh, came after she passed the virus along to you, and not before. We can't, she cannot know that for sure. And so to keep all the blame and scorn on you uh, is unfair. So I would encourage you to say that to her, if you like, if it'll make you feel better, and to get out there and make some new and better friends who have more realistic attitudes about the risks they're willing to shoulder uh, for the benefits of sexual adventure and sexual variety and sexual experiences. Again, folks, if you're going to have an open relationship, you're at greater risk of acquiring certain sexually transmitted infections, even when you use condoms religiously and correctly. You are signing up for much higher risk of HPV or herpes, even when you are having safer sex. If you can't handle that risk, if you can't handle... Emotionally, if you know that you will not be able to handle an infection, should it happen, then you need to be monogamous or you need to be single. Hi, Dan. and a Tech Savvy at Rescues. I'm a 21-year-old female going to school in Michigan. I recently determined that I am bisexual. I've not been actively pursuing relationships and sex with bi and lesbian women because straight men are easier to come by in my area, especially because... The community is small and pretty conservative, and the university population is predominantly male. I've been content with straight sex and relationships, but I'd like to eventually be with a woman. I've come out to many of my close friends, but how do I put myself out there as bisexual without simply going up to everyone and saying straight up, hey, I'm bi? I'm also an athlete on an intercollegiate team for my university. The women on my team share a lot of them, and we all shower 
naked, often together, in the open corral shower, to the dismay and discomfort of other students and community members. We are not shy about our conventionally attractive bodies, and we are also very open about our sexual experiences with men and have been known to say and do things to each other that would cause most people to think we are all lesbian. For example, slapping each other's asses, crude gestures, and saying that we'd fuck each other. As far as I know, all my teammates are straight and would not actually fuck any of my other teammates or me. Should I stop this behavior and shower in a curtain stall once I come out to my teammates? Should I stop now? Should we all stop showering together naked because it makes community members and other students clearly feel uncomfortable? Are we all just crazy? I'd really appreciate your help, Dan. Thanks. As we discussed last week with the woman from the bisexual organization, uh, some 70-ish percent of people who are bi are not out of the closet. Uh, so you should come the fuck out of the closet. It is as simple as telling people that you're bi. If you're single and you're open to dating men and women, putting that out there is the first step that you need to take to meet women who might be interested in you. Uh, women who are also bi that you know that may be in your social circles who are also closeted right now about their bisexuality as you are once you're out may approach you. But you got to come out. You got to say who you are to get what you want. And speaking of that crazy ass sort of J.O. material shower scene you described, I'm thinking that there probably are some lesbian or bisexual women on your team who are not out yet. Somebody's got to go fucking First, might as well be you. If there are straight women on your team who are uncomfortable with you in this sort of group grope shower a thon after the games that scandalize the other students and the rest of the community, uh, that straight woman can go shower off in a stall by herself. But I bet you none of them do. I bet you some of the other women on your team, if you come out to them, they will come out to you. Some of the straight women on your team may be so heteroflexible or not homophobic at all that having you there kind of makes this dirty talk, ass grabby, actually a little more exciting for them. And I have it on good authority from a female friend who is sitting here listening to me right now that there's nothing straight women of college age like more than being hit on by a lesbian. Because if a lesbian thinks you're pretty, you must really be pretty, uh, according to my friend who uh, I shall not name because somebody else named her Lucy. Hi, Dan. I'm Tony, and I'm in a long-distance relationship. I have been for about nine months now, and we live about six hours apart. In those nine months, we've seen each other two times, and the two times we've seen each other, it have, it's been just amazing. We've spent two weekends together, so it's really brought us together as a couple, but when we're not together... We're talking on Facebook and texting all the time. We're calling each other. But somehow, when we see each other, everything is perfect. But when we are not together, it's just we can't get along. Like, I find every possible reason and way to almost fight with her. And I don't know exactly what it is. I have a feeling that it's a part of me hating the distance so much that I don't know what to do. And it's come to a point where we are thinking of possibly moving in together within the next coming months and hoping it'll make things a little bit easier. But it's come to the point where if we can't get along on Facebook, texting, and we fight and we break up almost every day, but we can get along when we see each other, what is going to happen if we do end up living together? And things get really complicated. And 
like in person, we're completely different than we are over a computer. We won't say mean things to each other, and it's so not complicated, but on the phone, texting, we can just say the meanest things to each other, and it's just, it's, it's horrible. And it's kind of a point where we're in a crossroads where we don't know if continue, continuing our relationship is a good thing or breaking it off is what's best. I'm so confused on why we fight so much and why I worry so much about little things, about when she's with a friend, you know, like we fight if we talk about our exes or how this person has a big dick or this person is hot or something. And it it causes a fight and we just we just break up. And I'm really confused on if this relationship can could continue and I mean what to do. We're still both young and like I love her. I've been with other girls and she's been the best so far and she understands me in so many different ways. I understand her and through all the relationships she's been on, she's cheated on people. And then with me, it's been nine months and she's never touched another person. She's never looked another person and we trust each other completely. And, you know, I've never touched anybody else other than her and it's just been complicated and we don't know what to do. Wow. Um, listen, I'm, going to be your least favorite sex advice podcaster after I respond to your call. Uh, You've been in this long distance relationship for nine months. You've been together twice for two weekends. So that's four days, two weekends out of nine months So four days out of 270 days. So that you've been together and it's been blissful, but whenever you're not together, you're fighting all the time. So that's 266 days of conflict and drama and fighting and breaking up and cyber bullshit uh, versus four days of blissful togetherness. And you're wondering if you should upend your life and move uh, and go live with this person? Absolutely not. Maybe you should move to her town so you guys can spend more time together and you can figure out if actually uh, you do like each other and if this is going to be a low-stress relationship once you're in the same town but if you guys are fighting like this all the time that says to me that neither of you is ready for any sort of mature relationship that you're both very young and very inexperienced and very irrational and uh very fucking insane and 20 years old um and so uh, you shouldn't go to that town to live with her maybe you should go to that town to date her and see how it all works out Um, But it would be a big mistake to move there and live with her because my feeling is if you are breaking up all the time every day, except for those four days that you were together, that once you do get together and the newness and freshness and excitement of being together wears off, you're going to be back to the conflict and drama and fighting and bullshit. Also, some self-perspective. You say that you know maybe the reason that you're so mean to her and you're awful is that you hate the distance so much that you have to be shitty to her. If you're still at the stage of life where you don't understand why you're acting the way you're acting. And that if you're still at the stage of life or, you know, not that this is a problem that all young people have, some old people have this problem too, but if you're still in a place where that you will lash out at someone for no reason at all, or for the wrong reasons, or because you're mad about X, you're going to lash out to them about Y, you're not ready for a relationship. You're not ready for the kind of committed relationship that moving six hours and moving in with someone entails. You should continue to date and learn more about yourself and learn to get a handle on your emotions 
and your jealousy and your irrationality uh, before you upend your life and uh, go move across the country to be with someone. Sorry. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old female, and my husband is 33, and we were recently married. And my question is about what to say to people when they keep on bothering us, asking if we're going to have kids or not. It happens pretty much as soon as we got married. And for many reasons, we don't want kids. It's not that we don't love them. We have nieces and nephews and love our friends' kids. But for many personal reasons, it's just not something we want. And it's more a problem with our family asking than friends. And I can't imagine decades of fielding questions. So if you have any advice, I think the world will go on populated enough if we don't contribute to it. So if you have any advice for straight couples out there who want to tell people to just shut up, maybe in a nice way, or maybe not even in a nice way, anything would be appreciated. Thanks, Dan. This isn't really a problem. You just say to people, we're not interested in having children. We're never going to have children. We don't want children. And if that answer doesn't suffice, if they continue to press, say, look, my husband's a pedophile. He's not allowed to have children. Or you stand there and say, oh, we've been trying to have children, but I'm infertile and cry and make them feel bad for hurting the feelings of an infertile woman. Um, But this is really not a problem. You just have to be a bitch for a second. People are asking a, a, a personal question and they're not taking your perfectly rational and reasonable answer for a response. And if they press you about it, just be a bitch and get in their faces and, and bark at them. Not everybody has kids. We don't want kids. Now fuck the fuck off and stop asking me about kids. I am not going to have kids. And end the pity party for yourself about this. You say, oh, this is going to go on for decades. You're 28 years old. This is going to go on for maybe 15 more years before people get that you are out of your childbearing years and it isn't going to happen for you because you didn't want it to happen for you. I think the real issue for you is what you say at the end of your question. How do I do this uh, while being nice? There are times when you're not supposed to be nice. There are times when you have to stop being nice to get your point across. This might be one of those times if you have a mother or a father, an aunt or an uncle who won't take, oh, you know, we've decided that kids aren't what we want for an answer. You need to not be nice and say, listen, motherfucker, we're not going to have kids. All right. We've already answered that question a thousand times. Now fucking stop asking me that fucking question. I am not ever having kids, period, the end. And if they ever bring it up again, change the subject. Hi, Dan. I have a friend who, like me, is pretty sexually adventurous. Um, she's wonderful. I like her a lot. Um, and because we're the same kind of person, she shares a lot of her adventures with me. And that's awesome. Here's the problem. <laughs> so last night she went out with a friend of hers who's far more conservative and who never hears the full story. And that friend was introducing her to some other friends. And unfortunately, their hot 24-year-old son and another hot friend of his. To make a long story short, they ended up going out, she and the hot 24-year-old afterwards, and she ended up in a threesome with him and his best buddy. No big deal, except she calls me to tell me all the juicy details today, which is awesome. It sounded crazy. And um, turns out she told this friend, the conservative friend, that she had stayed last night with 
us, meaning me and my husband. And I told her she couldn't. And this is where the conflict is. I think she was wrong to drag us into her drama. I have no problems with her sleeping with younger guys. I have no problems with her enjoying herself. And I love the juicy stories, but I have a no drama rule. So if it it requires me lying to cover someone's ass for any reason, I don't like that. She says I'm violating the girlfriend code. And my husband, who I said, we're not lying for her, said to me, I like your no drama rule because it has so much drama. So Dan, tell me, am I wrong to basically tell her to fess up, get in front of this and not leave her relationship with her friend in the hands of this young 24 year old? Or should I just lie, cover her ass and move on with my life? On what planet do 24-year-olds who've just had three ways with some strange woman who may be twice their age and a male friend run home to their conservative parents and share that info? Your friend does not need to get in front of this less because, you know, she's left, you know, her relationship with her friend in the hands of this callow 24-year-old Lothario because that kid is not going to go tell his mommy, oh, mommy, that woman I met that you introduced me to last night, that friend of yours, Bounder, he's not going to say that to his mother. So you really don't have to worry about that. Uh, there's so much about this tale that's just very confusing. You don't describe this conservative person as a mutual friend. It's a friend of your friends. So I don't understand how you are actually being put into a position where you're going to have to lie to that woman's face. Is that woman going to call you to verify? You're not 15 years old. You're not high school students. Your friend's mother isn't going to call you to verify that she slept at your house last night. That's something that people do when they when you're talking about kids who are lying because they're out smoking weed at a party and they tell their mom they're at somebody's house for a sleepover and they're not. This is this is not going to happen. There's no drama here. Your husband is right. Your no drama rule is the engine driving all the drama. And it seems to me that you want drama. If you're telling this woman that she has to go tell her conservative friend that she fucked his 24-year-old son, and your rationale for that is that that woman, that conservative woman's 24-year-old son, is likely to tell his mommy that, so she has to get in front of it, that is bullshit. That is you seeking drama. That is you pushing drama, creating drama where really none exists. That conservative woman is not going to find out that her son fucked that woman or her friend, because her son is not going to tell her, Mom, Mike, hey, conservative mom, three way last night, bone that old bitch. That is not going to happen. All right? So lie for your friend. If you are ever in a position to have to verify that she slept at your house, just say that she did. Please. Hi, Dan. I was calling because I was wondering what is the politest way to tell someone you think they're using a condom that's too big for their dick? I've had a couple of mishaps with a very nice guy with whom I'm sleeping and would like for it to not happen again. Um, I have thought I saw him babe land some condoms that are a little bit smaller and also supposedly thinner. So I was thinking it would be nice to, you know, kind of be like, hey, you should try these. But the thing is, we're both seeing other people, so that would not spread to those people. So if you have any suggestions, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. 
This is a moment where you need to not worry about the other person's ego or feelings and advocate for yourself. He's using, you think, the implication here is, he's using these larger condoms because they make him feel like he has a bigger dick. But there's been, in your words, a couple of slip-ups. Um, incorrect condom usage, imperfect condom usage leads to broken condoms or condoms slipping off and then people getting sexually transmitted infections uh, or pregnant. You don't want to get a semen-based STI. You do not want to get pregnant. And that has to be your top priority at that moment when you realize he's using condoms that do not fit his dick and therefore you're being put at risk. You need to err on the side of potentially hurting his feelings if indeed his ego is wrapped up in wearing condoms that are far too large for his penis. And maybe that's what's going on or maybe these are condoms that he's always used and he's always been comfortable with them or maybe they're the only ones that he had around or maybe he got a huge stash for free from the student health center or whatever. But you need to say to him, hey, I got some different condoms or you need to get some different condoms because those condoms, the ones you're using now, they keep slipping off and you're not going to put your dick in me anymore in a condom that's going to fall off your dick because I don't want to get pregnant and I don't want to get an STI. So different condoms next time you come over or no pussy for you. Be that clear. Be that direct. You need to advocate for yourself that aggressively. Okay, someone who's sitting in this room with me who is a lady who has sex with straight guys thinks that you should use sort of a roundabout passive-aggressive lady approach to solving this problem. And instead of saying, hey, you're using the wrong condoms, the condoms you're using are too big for your dick, that you should get some condoms of your very own and hand them to him and say, I would like you to use these condoms. These are the condoms I like to be used. Because then you're not telling him that he's using the wrong condoms and you're not saying anything about you know, his ego being wrapped up in the bigger condoms. And it's, you know, this workaround that allows him to preserve his precious ego and you're sort of advocating for yourself, but in an I statement sort of way. These are the condoms I like rather than saying you're using the wrong condoms, you idiot. And so there's an alternate approach for you from the lady perspective uh, if you would care to have an alternate approach. Psst, I think you should advocate for yourself. I think you should get it in space. My lady friend thinks you should spare his precious ego and the dick that's attached to it and the erections that hang upon it by pretending that you have a strong preference for a certain kind of condom and handing him those. Hi, Mr. Savage. Um, I'm a 22-year-old lady living in San Francisco. My best friend recently moved away to Seattle. And every time she writes letters to me, she signs them from her and her boyfriend. Even if they're a personal letter to me, she signs them, Love, Lauren, and John. And it's, it's been frustrating me because while I love hearing from her, it makes me upset that everything has to be and also the boyfriend. I feel like they're turning into an amoeba couple. And while I don't begrudge them their happiness, and I really like him a lot, sometimes I would like to hear just from my best friend and not from him. Uh, is there any way I can tactfully say, hey, I just want to... I know this letter is just from you. You don't have to tack that sucker on there. I want a way to say that that doesn't make me sound like a total bitch. Is there a way? <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm sorry I'm such a bitch tonight, but it's late and I'm in a, trapped in a room with some high, high, high uh, pinch-hitting tech-savvy at-risk youth junior varsity squad. Look, uh, I think you're annoyed that your best friend has a boyfriend and you do not. 
That's what I think is really going on here. It's an annoying tick. I will grant you that. It is an annoying tick that your friend signs letters that are clearly just from her uh, with both her and her boyfriend's name. That's weird and insecure and a little infantile and a little middle schooly. And you could say that to her, but your sort of flash of anger there, this motherfucker, is a little out of all proportion to the offense. You start signing your letters to her, Marsha and Barack Obama. Hey, love Marsha and Ryan Gosling. And she'll get the point. She'll see how kind of annoying and silly it is without you having to call some asshole faggots podcast about it or make a federal case out of it or anything. Your friend has a boyfriend and she's proud of the fact that she has a boyfriend and she's doing a little boyfriend victory dance in the end zone and it is annoying you, one of her single friends. It's probably annoying her other single friends. It's probably annoying her friends who have boyfriends and her friends who have girlfriends because it is annoying. But it's not that annoying. It's not really that big a deal. It doesn't rise to the level of a call to my podcast, I have to say. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight woman in a polyamorous relationship with a married man. I've been seeing him for about eight months. This is my first polyamorous relationship, and everything with him is surprisingly wonderful. My relationship with him has been the most satisfying of my life so far. We are compatible intellectually, emotionally, and physically. It's really great. However, his life. She's been really involved in my life from the beginning. She's orchestrated all three of us hanging out on platonic dates and also wanting to go out with me alone to do girl things. Although she's bi, I don't have a sexual relationship or interest in her. 99% straight, and I'm pretty sure she respects that. She has been trying to cultivate this friendship with me, however, becoming overly involved in my life, in my romantic life with her husband. For example, she set up their poly bedroom once with champagne and strawberries before my date with my boyfriend. I had quite a flip out when she did that since I saw it as this creepy way of entering the intimate life I have with him disguised as kindness. She's offered me things, paid for things, helped me with moving, took me on a week-long trip to her parents' house out of state. At every turn, I tried not to accept these gifts because I felt that they were very much like she was trying to buy my friendship. Her husband encouraged me to accept these things because it does behoove him to have his partners get along. Then we can all hang out at the same time. So I've gone on longer gone on with it longer than I normally would have. But I don't like her. I never would have seen her after the first time I met her if she hadn't been my my boyfriend's wife. I don't like being in the same room with her. She's grating, tacky, annoying, overly emotional, and manipulative. I've known people like her before, and I see the signs. There's no winning when you engage people like her. I don't want to see her anymore in any capacity. This whole time when I've been trying to be nice, trying to figure out a way to balance my relationship with her and her husband, she's been considering me to be her BFF. All I want is just to see my boyfriend a day or two out of the week and not see the wife. She's so much work and I didn't marry her and it feels like a relationship and I resent it. At this point, she will likely feel dumped by me if I tell her I don't want to be her boyfriend, her friend anymore. She will 
most likely disallow her husband from seeing me because I will make her sad. My dislike for her manipulation and ruining of my dates with my boyfriend with her dramatic primary bullshit outweighs my love and enjoyment of him. It's been a difficult and long process to realize this, but here I am. I've got one Hail Mary left in my pocket, and that is to ask her for her to treat me the same way her secondary and her husband interact, which is they don't. There's no animosity between them, just nothing, exactly as I would have had it with her. I guess my question is, is this normal? I don't hear a lot of poly stuff on your show. I just thought I'd bring it up to open up the poly conversation. I've had a hard time knowing what my place is and advocating for my rights since it is my first poly relationship. I feel very much like a second-class citizen, and I'm angry that my attempts to make nice with her will likely be the same excuse she uses to prevent her husband from seeing me. He and I do not want to break up, but her crazy will likely make that happen, and we both know it. I'm pretty resolved that this is inevitable, but I'm curious if you have anything to add. I'm curious how your boyfriend's wife managed to take you to her parents' house upstate for a week against your will. That is kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, That said, you don't like this woman that your boyfriend happens to be married to. Uh, You don't like being in the same room with her. You might have to end things then with her husband. Um, If they're polyamorous, but they're married, they're kind of a package deal. It may be uh, one of her conditions uh, of him having relationships with other women that that woman that he is in a relationship with that isn't her, that she be on friendly terms with that woman. Or perhaps not. She has a boyfriend that he has absolutely no relationship with and very little contact with. You should ask for the same. And if your boyfriend can't deliver the same to you, the same deal that his wife's boyfriend enjoys, then you need to end it. Period. The end. If he can't go to his wife and say, you know what? Um, My girlfriend would like the same deal with us that your boyfriend has with us, which is she wants to be in a relationship with me, but not very, you know, not in a relationship with you. Friendly, civil, polite, but no hanging out, not girlfriends, not besties. And it's really his job to to carry that water into his wife and and do that hard work if he wants you in his life. But if he won't do that, then you might have to end it. That said, you know, let's open the poly conversation here. If there's any polyamorous folks out there listening who've, you know, handled these sorts of situations, please give us a call, share your perspective and your wisdom. My impression of poly relationships, though, is they are package deals. Uh, And the husband comes with the wife. The primary comes with the primary, if there are primaries. Um, And if you really loathe and despise someone's primary, as you seem to loathe and despise your boyfriend's wife, that is really not a recipe for poly success or poly peace in the valley or poly anything. Um, If you can't stand her and he is married to her, maybe your thing with him needs to end. Hi, Dan. I have a question for you regarding roommate etiquette. My roommate is my best friend, and she's one of the best people I really ever have met. Um, Incredibly giving and kind and caring, and she's moving out tomorrow to move in with her boyfriend, who kind of sucks. And I wanted to ask you if I can tell her that she can do better. It's her first boyfriend. She's 25. He's okay. He just is kind of gross, and he kind of gives me the willies. And um, 
I think that he's a great first boyfriend for her, but I think she can do so much fucking better. And who am I to say that? I don't know. She's my best friend for a long time, but I know in my gut she she knows she can do a little bit better. So can I tell her? Let me know if I can tell her. I think she can do better. God, it sounds so dick. But I would like to say something to her. If your friend's about to move in with this guy, she's probably still in the honeymoon stage of this relationship. She's probably besotted with him. Uh, hence the moving out on you and moving in with him thing. Now would be the wrong time to speak the truth to her. Wait until they've had their first big fight. Wait for your friend to have realized she's made a mistake and she comes to you and says, well, what do you think? Do you think he's good for me or bad for me? And then you can unload. But if you unload right now, if you tell her what you're really thinking right now, you're just going to be the villain in their romance. You're going to be the impediment. Uh, you're going to get cut out of her life. And then you won't be the person she's going to turn to uh, when she needs some straight talk, some John McCain expressing about what's going on. So keep your powder dry, hang back, tell her you're happy for her and you want to hang out lots and you hope you keep seeing each other and make time just to hang out as friends and then bring up relationships drama and your relationship drama and who you're dating and who she's dating. Ask her how it's going. And when she asks you for your opinion, as she inevitably will, you can let her have it then. But to tell her now, when she's moving out and moving in with this guy and she's excited and happy about this new relationship, nah. Oh, hi. This message is for Dan. My name is Sam. And oh, 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 over a month ago, I met this woman that I totally clicked with. She's my age, 31. And we're both people who believe in the law of attraction. We both don't really have much time for traditional religion. So we went on a few dates. We spent time getting to know each other. She asked me a lot of personal questions. I haven't really dated very much. She, I told her after her sixth date that I didn't have a car. And that pretty much ended everything. She um, needed two days to figure out if she still wanted to see me. Two days later, she let me know that she wanted to move on. I mean... We clicked in every way. Um, she's a beautiful woman, tall, five foot ten, blonde. I really feel like we were meant to be together. I know that sounds very cliche. She's the most interesting person I've ever met. And I would really like to prolong a relationship with her. At this point I figured I should just probably give her some time to figure out, you know, Maybe she'll come back. I'd really like to have her back because she really, we were great together. You say you haven't dated much. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to come down on you. I don't want to be an asshole. Uh, but, you know, you say one of the things that's so great about you two together is you're both people who believe in the law of attraction. All people believe in the law of attraction. Uh, so that that's not any sort of so rare and unique a character trait that you have to go to the mattresses or really fight to somehow drag this woman back into your life. Uh, there are other women out there that you will meet who also believe in the law of attraction. I think what's going on here is that you're just super attracted to this woman. Her qualities that you eventually got around to listing were all physical traits, beautiful, tall, blonde. Uh, I would add judgmental, shallow, materialistic to that list. If you not having a car is some sort of enormous deal breaker for her. If that is something that she regards as 
a talismanic signal of a man's kind of uh, success or ability to, to to move through the world or what kind of partner that guy's going to be, then you're not the right person for her and she isn't as wonderful as you seem to think she is. She sounds kind of, again, shallow, materialistic, and judgmental. So I guess you could give her some time. I really doubt that she's going to come around. And maybe instead of giving her some time, you should get yourself a car if you want to win her back, a super nice one, and Austin Marin. I don't even know the names of super nice cars. Get a Toyota. Get a Tesla. Uh, or you could get yourself some self-respect in a spine and shrug this person off. You only had a month invested in her. You went on a few dates. Uh, she picked up on one detail about you and decided that that was all that she needed to know, that you didn't have enough money to own a car or you had no interest in owning a car. And for her, that was a deal breaker. So good riddance to shallow, materialistic, and judgmental rubbish. There are other women out there who also believe in the law of attraction, other women that you may be just as attracted to as you were to her. Your dick is doing your thinking here. You want to put your dick in her, and that is completely understandable. Um, she sounds like someone who would look good with your dick in her. Uh, but there are other women out there, maybe other women who also, like you, don't own cars or don't place such importance on car ownership that they would walk away from what could have been a very beautiful relationship. Move the fuck on. Hello, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Um, I have a question for you. The short version is, do men uh, with any frequency use condoms when masturbating? The long version is, a friend of mine who is married, uh, her husband, who had no reason to have a condom, they're either on the pill or trying to have a baby, volunteered information that he had one, and his wife thinks that this might be some evidence that he was cheating. He says he uses it when he's masturbating, but had no other condoms, couldn't remember when he bought it, the whole thing. And she went looking for others to see if he had like a box lying around and could find only one. So she's feeling a little paranoid. So any uh, advice or thoughts you have to offer on this would be appreciated. You say he volunteered this information, that he volunteered the info that he had condoms and he was using them to masturbate. You don't say that your friend found the condoms, confronted her husband about them, and then he offered up this story that he used them to masturbate. So that you know, that little detail uh, leads me to believe that perhaps he was telling the truth with this qualifier. I have for years suggested to men that they use condoms to masturbate, to men who claim that they can't get off in condoms, that condoms make it impossible to feel anything that it might help them if they got used to condoms and associated condoms with orgasms um, and were really acclimated to them by the time they get to condom sex with a partner if they just jacked off into condoms. And it aids with the cleanup of mess. And I have never once in all the years that I've been giving this advice when I turn to straight guys who tell me or gay guys who tell me they can't come using condoms to use condoms when they jack off. I've never once had a guy say, oh, yeah, I already do that. I use condoms when I jack off. I've given this advice for 20 years. I've never had a guy turn around on me and say – I use condoms to beat off. Ever. So that makes me think that maybe he's lying, but I want to talk to your friend instead of you. I want to ask your friend, you know, when your husband wants to masturbate, do you let him masturbate? Is he allowed to masturbate around the house? Or do you treat masturbation as some sort of sin or crime? Uh, because maybe he does legit have a few condoms in the car or wherever it is that he keeps them. So if he wants to rub one out, he doesn't have to have tissues. And also he's not going to ejaculate all over the place and then have to wipe up the steering wheel and the dashboard 
and whatever else. Maybe he is the rare, the, the exceptional guy who arrived at this strategy for neat, clean, no-mess jack-off sessions uh, off on his own, out in the world, in the car, or at the office, or wherever, where you wouldn't want to splooge all over the place. If he's a big shooter, maybe he arrived at the condom solution to that, so he can have a little masturbatory session in private and not make a huge mess that's impossible to clean up with a dirty tube sock or a paper towel. All that said... Part of me wants to apply Occam's razor here, and the most obvious answer is probably the correct one. Uh, and usually when a married man has condoms around, uh, when he's not using condoms with his spouse, with whom he is in a sexually exclusive relationship, presumably, it's because he's having sex with somebody else. But lightning could have struck. This could be the one guy in America who, had I turned to and said, you should masturbate using condoms, would have looked at me and said, I've been doing that for years. I've always done that. Uh, so I don't want to charge, try, and execute your friend's husband or throw gasoline on a suspicion fire and, and drive your friend around the bend. She needs to hash this out with her husband. Again, going all the way back to the beginning of my response, if he volunteered this information, if he offered, oh, hey, I've got condoms around because I'm jacking off in them, that would be a really weird thing for someone who is conducting a clandestine affair to do, just to mention that he had condoms. Because he would have to know that that would very naturally arouse his wife's suspicions about his behaviors and what he was doing and why he had condoms. So maybe he blundered into this because innocently enough, he was actually using those condoms to masturbate. It's a mystery. Only he knows for sure what the hell is going on. And she and you, perhaps, as her friend and advisor, will have to uh, assess his credibility the next time she hashes this out with him and has a long talk about what the fuck was going on with those condoms. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old straight female living in the South. And I just had a quick question about my boyfriend. I noticed pretty much a while ago that every time he pees, he gets a lot of pleasure from it. It's like excessive pleasure. It almost sounds like he's having an orgasm, but he's just peeing. At first, I thought maybe he had some kind of STI or something like maybe it was burning. And then I realized that no, it's actually pleasure. When he pees, it, it sounds like, oh my God, oh, oh my God, oh fuck, oh shit, oh my God. And he's just paying. So I was just trying to understand what that was, where it came from. Is it some kind of cross wiring in his brain? His body is registering pain like he's ejaculating. Like, what is it? Um, if you can help, I'd appreciate it. If I can help? what I'm not sure what help you need here. Your boyfriend is peeing and enjoying it and nothing is out of whack and nothing isn't working. You don't really need my help. What you need is an anatomy lesson, a textbook, or to get to Google and Google the prostate gland. Um, that is the gland in the male body that uh, secretes this stuff. Uh, 50, 75, 80% of seminal fluid is uh, – produced in and secreted by the prostate gland. And the prostate gland is one of those glands in the human body, like boobs or the gland at the end of a man's penis or the glans clitoris, that when you stimulate it, when you press it and poke it and stroke it, it feels good. There's a lot of sensitive nerve endings. It's an erogenous zone. Um, it's God's little 
suggestion, got this little hint that uh, men are supposed to get fucked in their asses. Also, though, it's this walnut-shaped gland in a man's body, and it surrounds the urethra. The urethra, the piss tube, goes right through the center of the prostate gland. So a lot of guys do get pee shutters, it's called. They kind of get <laughs> when they pee. And it is this vaguely pleasurable sensation as the urine is pushed through and rushes through uh, the urethra through the prostate gland because they're kind of getting this little, like, vibration of their prostate gland as the, uh, the, the, the pee is forced out of the bladder and down into the urethra and through the prostate gland and out of the body. So if you're curious why he derives pleasure from peeing, there you go. He's stimulating his own prostate gland with his own urine and it's causing him to have what sound like kind of elaborate and dramatic pee shutters. Most guys just get a little like, when they pee, a little pleasurable kind of Tingling sensation up the spine. Uh, but some guys get the full Monty or whatever it is that your boyfriend is experiencing. And uh, complete with dirty talk and whatever else you said that he was saying when you overheard him peeing. But there's no problem here. Nothing's not working. And it certainly is not an STI. Pain upon urination. People who have gonorrhea or non-gonococcal urethritis or other sexually transmitted infections that can make it very painful to urinate, he would not be shuddering in delight. It would not sound like an orgasm. People who have pain upon urination due to an STI sound miserable when they pee. They are in pain. He's not in pain. He's not broken. It's working. Just that his prostate gland surrounds his urethra and when that piss pushes through, it's giving him a little prostate thrill. There's no problem here that you need my help with. Everything's working just the way it's supposed to. Hi, Dan. I was just listening to episode 362 and the caller talking about the 28-mile-per-hour ejaculate, and you said, if it could even be true. Well, in 1995, I could take video of a couple of air hockey pucks and watch them bump into each other and do analysis of that and figure out how fast they were going in an undergraduate community college intern physics class. I bet by now you could do it with an iPhone. So, totally provable who's going to perform the experiment. I am calling with a response to the bisexual woman wondering how to come out at work. Um, well, I do agree that your advice is really the best way to go. As somebody who has had to come out over and over again, she should be prepared for people to ask invasive questions about her sex life. I found that when I use the word bisexual to come out rather than gay or I gay women or anything else like that, that people tend to look at me as though I have just stated that I'm into really kinky sex um, and then proceed to ask me really inappropriate questions about how many partners I've had or if I have threesomes. So she should be prepared for that. Hi, this is a response to episode 362, specifically to the guy who was wondering about coming out as bi. I actually, one of the times that I came out was in response to somebody saying, I don't get bisexual people. Why don't they just pick a side? So I went on to explain that it wasn't about picking sides. It was about being true to myself and what I'm attracted to, who I'm attracted to, and being honest to myself and to everyone around me. And I take no credit for this, but the person who asked that question um, has since become a queer ally, which has been really awesome to see. So yay for being out and talking about it. 
And we're going to leave it there. Thank you, as always, to all you Magnum subscribers to the Savage Lovecast. We appreciate your existence. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Lucy Place on Twitter at Lucy Place. L-U-C-Y-P-L-A-C-E. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. And Nancy, we will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.